0: OCO and greetings, I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf and this is the Indigenous People's Reality Media. I'll be back in just a few seconds to introduce my guests for today, two of my good close brothers. Don't go
1: away. mother the earth, O our father the sky. Your children are we and with tired backs we bring you the gifts you love. Then weave for us a garment of brightness. May the wrap be the white lightning of morning. May the weft be the red light of evening. May the fringes be the falling rain. May the border be the standing rainbow. Thus weave for us a garment of brightness, brightness that we may walk fiddly where birds sing that we may walk fiddling where the grass is green oh our mother the earth oh our father the sky <laughs>
2: is coming, the end of the noise and lies, the end of the chaos and division, the end of the hate. In its place, a new America is ready to stand tall again, ready to restore the goodness in the heart of our nation, ready to put people before politics, ready to lead, to innovate, to grow, to heal. It won't always be easy. There are tough times to come, COVID to be defeated, an economy to restore, But that new day is coming. A day when words like caring, competent, and professional won't be insults. A day when compassion and character mean more than celebrity. A day when every American's rights are respected and valued. That day is coming because of your hard work, your commitment, your energy, and passion. That day is coming because of your vote. Joe Biden, our president. Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising.
0: Welcome back to the Indigenous People's Reality Media. I have two of my brothers with me. I've known them both for a while and I'm extremely impressed with both of them. The first one, his name is Mark Charles. Mark Charles is a Navajo, but he's also a minister and an activist, and Mark ran as an independent for this 2020 election, and I would like to have an opportunity to say hello to him, from you and me to him. Mark, how are you?
3: Hey, Jay, good to hear from you. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on on your podcast here.
0: Is there anything else you want want to add to that introduction before we move on to
3: that? Yeah, back? I'd love just to introduce myself uh, officially to your podcast in a traditional way if I could do that a second. Sure. So, ya'ke, more choreographer, yeah. Since the kids in that, they're about Since the kids in that, to the Chinese You know, in our Navajo culture, we're matrilineal and our identity identity's for our mother's mother. Because my mother's mother is American of Dutch heritage, I say Xindakid in That means I'm from the Wooden Shoe people. My second clan, my father's mother, is Toh which is the waters that flow together. My third clan, my mother's father, is also Xindakidne. And then my fourth clan, my father's father, is from Cheatney. That's the Bitter water clan. It's one of the original clan of our novel people. I also just want to acknowledge that uh we're speaking here today and I'm I'm living on Scottaway land, and I want to honor the Scottaway. I want to thank them for their stewardship of these lands, and let them know how humble I am to be living on their land today.
0: Thank you, Mark. My next guest, my next guest, is my brother, your brother, Barry Lenore, and Barry is, I believe, the executive director or president of the um, United Black Fund. Barry is also from a spiritual, religious background. He's been a friend for many years, one that I love and trust. Barry, how are you?
4: Jay, I'm doing well. I'm in in the celebratory mood, celebrating the the movement of power in in a better direction and, Hmm. and praying that it will continue to move in a very positive direction over time. I'm honored to be with you again. Honored to be in the uh, along with uh, Mark Charles, someone I have great admiration for, and, and a the salute and and a praise for his uh, work to uh, gain the presidency, and and it reminds him that uh, that many people did not make it the first time, but we do expect Mark to run a second time.
1: I'm Absolutely. honored to be
4: president of the United Black Fund. Uh, a historic uh, nonprofit organization. We're in our jubilee, what's called the Jubilee Year, our 50th year. But I'm also honored to be uh, a grandson of a Chickahominy a native, uh, Andrew Atkins, who was a minister in the African-American community at Alpha Street Baptist Church, the largest African-American church in this time, in Alexandria, Virginia, for some 43 years and uh, helped set up an African-American school and a school for kids who didn't have schools to go to. A lot of African-Americans coming from the Civil War times had that challenge. And so I'm honored to know that uh, that tribe led by my near-relative, Steve Atkins, has one recognition. i uh, still wondering uh, what the value of that is going to be, but it's something they sought
3: for long and hard. One of the Virginia tribes recently recognized, so...
4: Honored to have that as my heritage. I have to remind people the rest of me is from the plantations of Tennessee, hmm. but I'm honored to have this as a, as a stable part as an anchoring point, my heritage, and it's a joy to be with you again.
0: I'm always happy to hear your voice, my dear brother. We're going to go to a bit of music, and come back and discuss some issues, some present-day issues, some very recent issues. The 2020 election. Don't go away. We'll be back shortly. I'm Welcome back to the Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. I have Mark Charles, who ran for the recent 2020 election as an independent, and my good friend and brother, Barry Lenoir, Lenore as he's known. Mark Charles, you watched this election because you were an integral part in the election. You traveled all over the country. You won the favor of Indian country. You participated in the Frank Lemire discussion. Tell us about that discussion.
3: Yeah, you know, that was one of the, uh, it was really the, the largest and the first national presidential forum for Indian country. There was one back in 2016, but it didn't have a meeting of the, prominent the candidates there. And at this, can, at this forum in Sioux City, Iowa, there were 10 of the top 20 Democratic candidates there, one or two Republican candidates, and I was there as an independent candidate, but also as a Native American candidate, uh, from the Navajo Nation. And, uh, that was, a, it was a really exciting forum to be a part of. There was a lot of media attention. There were a lot of people. There was, it was very well attended by the public. Um, people from all over Indian country came out to uh, show support for candidates and to listen to what the candidates have to say. And I was most impressed by the, the panels and the the people they had participating in the forum asking the questions. Uh, one of my favorites there was Marcella mm-hmm.
1: Um
3: At the time, she was 99. She's now 100 years old. She's become a dear friend of mine. And she was there at uh, age 99. Yeah. asking presidential candidates about the Remove the Stain Act and the the uh, Medals of Honor given to the soldiers for their participation that wounded me. And she also had the tenacity to ask several of the candidates about the Doctrine of discovery.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I was so impressed with her, and uh, I loved her the clarity of her questions. I loved the way she pressed into the candidates, and I took some time to meet her and talk with her and... Um, we now consider her to be a friend of mine. I even sent her a copy of my book and mm. uh, have corresponded with her a few times since then. But yeah, the Franklin Forum was Forum was one of my highlights of the entire campaign.
0: Yes. And Grandmother Lebeau has become a friend of mine as well. She actually served in World War II as a nurse in Germany. And yes. uh, she was so close to the bombs that went off fighting against Adolf Hitler. Barry, 2020 election. For the first time in the history of presidential elections, we had an Indian, a Native American brother, who um, had the intestinal fortitude to run for the presidency. Although he did not succeed, I voted for him. What are your feelings on that?
4: I think think it's just an amazing accomplishment. An indication of personal, uh, spiritual strength, stamina, insight, uh, connectedness with the times. You know, the times don't always welcome uh, such a candidate. But if we look for an invitation, we'll never be on the on the main, we'll never be in the middle of the discussion. We'll never join the discussion. And rarely are we invited. So that Mark, uh, Mark, that you have stepped forward? And extended yourself uh, as it representing, uh, so many people, not just the Native American community, but certainly fundamentally the Native American community and the pride that it represents to all of us. And, and as you found out in, in the civil rights movements, the work of people for progress to confront and demand justice, to go through the battles that it, that, uh, that are before you. When you're bringing about the change for justice, for truth, for justice, for fairness, for equality, for equal opportunity, the challenge is, is formidable. And it takes people of, of terrific dedication to step into that challenge. And uh, so I think Mark has demonstrated all of those things. But it's not just that he had the will to do it. He was prepared to do it. And, and his journey has been an amazing journey. Is as, as as I discovered in just speaking with him and listening to his uh, discussions, uh, an amazing journey that one step has led to the the most recent step. Each step has led to the most recent step. Yes. So I'm 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 just honored that uh, that this has happened. This this barrier has is broken.
1: You know what uh, you and go ahead.
4: And 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 you know we look too often. We we only have athletics to look at. To see uh, the barrier broken, Jim Thorpe is an example of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but now the arena is no larger. The world is before us, and Marcus has catapulted the struggle into a higher level, higher plane. And and I'm so grateful that that example is there for all of us, not just Native Americans, but all of us can follow that example.
0: Exactly. And you know, you are talking about barriers. Uh, it was last fall when we were all together at the NAACP of Loudoun County, uh, fundraise a banquet for education for young people wanting to go to college. And I remember that experience vividly. I had the honor of leading the uh, Native Warrior women in. And then you got up and spoke. And they said, you only got five minutes. And you said, okay, but did you know that there's a Native American running for the presidency of the United States? And then you, you and, and Mark took it over, and I was so proud of that. And Mark had an opportunity to speak, and you should have seen the mouths that were wide open. A Native American is running for the presidency. And I am so proud of the both of you. But taking that time and turning the hands of time in a different direction. So to you, Barry, and to you, Mark, what can I say? You know, I don't wear hats, but my war bonnet come off to both of you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, Jay, let's not, let's, don't, don't, don't minimize the role you play in uh, bringing people together and promoting these, such a cause.
0: Mark Charles. Yeah. After watching the results of this election and uh, watching Joe Biden win in the election and his running mate Kamala Harris, a black woman of black and Asian descent, did you ever think that we would see that in the United States
1: of America?
3: Well, I will. I will say I am very pleased that that barrier has been broken and that we have a a woman, not only a woman VP, but a woman of color, mm-hmm. um, as our vice president. Uh, I think there are. That was a barrier that needed to be broken long, long ago, and I am very glad that uh, that we now have not we have a vice president elect who is a woman of color. I am deeply grateful. For
0: that. Absolutely. Uh, Barry, your thoughts on that?
3: Of course, it's
4: it's a uh, it's it's a uh, it's a breakthrough. election is is a kind of breakthrough, a kind of breakaway from from uh, just an amazing experience that uh, Donald Trump has put this country and the world through. Mm. And, uh, and and uh, the the challenge that many people who feel a sense of justice and and uh, connectedness with others. And tolerance for differences mm-hmm. have been have been pushed uh, almost to the brink in the last four years, uh, and and it's and the and the drumbeat from this guy has been incessant, and it's still it still continues today.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, so so, um, but sometimes in a, in, a, in a, when we're challenged, in a significant challenge, people uh, tend to be more willing to join together, to work together. To focus together, to find out what they have in common, and go forward uh, as as uh, as in, in mass to uh, meet uh, to make the changes necessary and to confront the evil. I call it evil, and I, I just have to say it like I feel it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: Uh, th- this has been an e- evil regime, reminiscent of Mussolini, not just in in the policy, but in his own posture, his own facial expressions, his own demeanor and and uh, that is a, that is the seat the the, the core of evil that the, you can't hide uh, you know so, uh, so gratefully gratefully uh, we have an opportunity to do better now
0: you know i i kind of um, equate donald trump to king leopold that you really don't hear a lot about and he was the european leader that murdered, went into Africa, and committed genocide against Africans, he didn't like anybody that wasn't his color. And I look at Donald Trump, and I, I see the same resemblance, not only of ignorance and stupidity and mental illness, but a person that don't like anybody that's darker than him. You know, we've been fighting this racial thing ever since the conception of the United States of America, with the Europeans coming over here and invading us and, and killing us, and then having the audacity to go to Africa and steal our black brothers and sisters and bring them over here and get them to do the work that they were too lazy to do and enslave them. What are your thoughts on that, Mark?
3: Well, you know, as I've been saying not only through my campaign but well before that, you know, I I wrote a book on the doctrine of discovery, on settling truth, the ongoing dehumanizing legacy of the doctrine of discovery, and lay out how this doctrine has been dehumanizing to especially African people and native peoples, those indigenous Control Island, and implanted some values into our country which are actually shared. They're bipartisan values. I've been pointing out since two thousand sixteen that the primary difference recently between the Democratic and the Republican parties has been one versus implicit racial bias versus explicit racial bias. So when, uh, I think it was last uh, a week ago, you know, on Saturday when it became apparent that, um, Donald Trump was going to lose the election and it was called for Joe Biden, I will agree. I, I breathed this sigh of relief. I was grateful that Donald Trump was not reelected. I think he has been a more than a challenge. um, He has been detrimental to our nation and has done detrimental things to our democracy. However, I also was very, I guess I would say, bewildered by the euphoria around the election of Joe Biden. Um, While I'm glad Donald Trump is no longer going to be in office, Joe Biden is not going to bring about radical change. We, we can't miss the point that Joe Biden did not attend either of the Native American forums. True. We had 10 presidential candidates who came and campaigned directly to Native people. Bernie Sanders was there, Elizabeth Warren was there, Kamala Harris was there, even, uh, Marianne Williamson and, uh, Julian Castro was there, I was there. And Joe Biden did not come to the first one, and even the second one, when the impeachment files were going on, impeachment hearings were going on, he did not attend that one. Most of the of the candidates attended that one virtually, but Joe Biden didn't even do that. He sent yeah. a letter.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so it was deeply disappointing that she did not campaign directly to native people throughout this election where Native America actually stood up and demonstrated how important our voices are in presidential politics. I think yes, it's good that Donald Trump is out of office. I do not see the reason for euphoria that Joe Biden is now in office because he made it very clear throughout his entire campaign that he was going to be the status quo candidate. He was not going to go for too far too to the left. He was not going to be very progressive. He was not going to go out of his way to do anything with, with the systemic racism problems that we're facing, you know, after the lynching of George Floyd. Joe Biden suggested we train officers to shoot people in the kneecaps instead of in the instead of in the chest. We all know that's not going to fix the problem. When we looked at the environmental policies, Joe Biden promised the oil industry that he was not going to ban tracking. Mm. He wasn't going to go that far to go. So he, he wrote, he built a very broad coalition of primarily moderate white voters from both the left and the right. And he assured them that he was going to be status quo. And as much as I appreciate that Senator Harris, or now Vice President Alex Harris, is a woman and a woman of color, when you look at her legacy as a uh, attorney general in California, She also made it very clear when she was attorney general. So Joe Biden, like she was actually helping Ken to put on paper the Law Enforcement Act of 1994 that exacerbated mass incarceration. And Attorney General Harris was enforcing that bill and actually using it to put people of color into prison. Yeah. And uh, when you look at at her when I when I actually did the research and looked at her legacy as attorney general it made sense to me why Joe Biden chose her as his running mate because she's demonstrated that while she is a person of color and while she would like to see a lot of some of these changes made she's also made it pretty clear that she is not going to be the one to stand up and actually in one podcast they said turn the table over herself. Um, she will sit around the table and she'll bring some changes to the table, but she's not going to help flip the table over and okay. and actually usher in the changes, the radical changes that we need to make. And uh-huh. so this is this is the challenge I think we're facing now is where it, I've been telling people throughout the second half of my campaign: if you protested police brutality or the environment any point in the last 12 years, you should be fully prepared to protest them in the next war. Because the Biden administration is not going to do anything that radical or that different from what's already been done.
0: Okay. My next question is to both of you, and we start with Barry. Barry, ever since Bill Clinton was the president, and he signed this crazy, stupid immigration law into effect. They have been deporting people out of the country. And one of my pet peeves is how do you ask someone to raise their right hand and take the oath to protect the United States Constitution and the people of the United States. And when they do that, They come back, and the U.S. government basically throw the majority of our veterans away. The veterans that I speak of, of those that were not born here in America, but they took the oath, they went to combat, they protected this country, they protected our lives, and to come back only for them to be deported to other places in the world and the, the group that I'm talking about about the people that come from south of Tejas or Texas I have very close friends and brothers and sisters that have been deported because they weren't born here in America but yet and still they went and fought for America I'll start with you Barry what's your thoughts on that
3: yeah, those are there. Well, many thoughts. It evokes many
4: thoughts. Let me let me first tag team on what Mark had spoken about about the new uh, persons coming to power. They both come with a, a great deal of baggage historically. Uh, Joe Biden, the first surfaces in my mind is as one of the persons who assaulted Anita Hill in the Clarence uh, Thomas hearings after Justice Marshall had passed and. They had promoted uh, Clarence Thomas through a series of, uh, up the ladder you go, uh, promotions, appointed him to, uh, nominated him for the Supreme Court. Though Louis. It had no uh, judicial experience, hardly any judicial experience, uh, and Anita Hill had challenged that nomination, and of course, uh, Joe Biden was with the group that insulted uh, and assaulted her in, in those hearings. Uh, he also uh, celebrated the, the mandatory sentencing provisions of the legislation that came out of Congress that and that resulted in the judges not having the discretion
1: yeah. in
4: sentencing. And and, and, not, and losing that discretion is one of the uh, vows that, that opened up the prison doors and poured the, uh, particularly uh, young black people into the horrors of uh, any prison experience. And Joe Biden celebrated that, those rules. Now, of course, in in Kamala Harris's role as as a a prosecutor, the the attorney general in California is becoming clearer and clearer to a great many people. And so it it is the case that we're not, this is not a a panacea. This is not the the dream team. Uh, This is maybe a little better than what we've had. And in terms of immigration, uh, one of the one of the uh, one of the things that made Joe Biden the target was the fact that the Obama administration deported so many immigrants from this country, so many Hispanic immigrants from this country although they came up with a DACA uh, plan uh, they they had a record number of deportations on this country uh, but but I, but it's that's not bad that in itself it's not enough. Here comes a guy who, has, who is a hardliner on immigration, and when I say hardliner, it becomes vulgar when you separate children from their parents, as this administration has done. When you when you push people back, when you threaten people's lives, when you arrest people, when you challenge their daily walk, you know when you when you intimidate people. And let's let's be honest, this is the president. Who's, who's, uh, who's a prototypical winning into intimidation person. Uh, you've got too much of that in America, and particularly too much in American politics. So it is the case that this is a team coming in that has baggage they're carrying, and they have to be willing to step into a new future, into the new opportunity, and not just step into it. They have to leap into it. And there's something they have to prove to those of us who did not support Donald Trump. And that is a recognition that some people voted for for the Biden team because they were voting against Donald Trump, not for Biden and Harris, but against Donald Trump. A great many people did that. So it is not a mandate that they walk into office with, and they do have something to prove. But in terms of immigration, it can only get better. They can start with the DACA, uh-huh. the DACA plan. They can start with that, but there has to be an aggressive. Uh, All-out effort to reunite those children from, right. uh, with their with their parents, and uh, that policy has to cease immediately. And people who are responsible for that should be held accountable for that. Uh, that's the you know I, I think there's uh, that that parallels some of the hideous war crimes that take mm-hmm. place in the war. So that's uh, I, I think we have our work to cut out, but it's not going to take place without continued activism. That's the point mm-hmm. I want to make. Right now, tonight, I watch the Senate confirm another U.S. District Court judge for the District Court in Mississippi. Right now, people are collecting, uh, gathering support for the two Senate candidates in Georgia. And I don't think they stopped working. And don't think we have work. We don't have work to do. Those two Senate seats in Georgia are two of the most important. two of the most important elections this country will have in the next 20 years. And so I'm urging people, within the sound of this podcast, you have friends in Georgia, if you have uh, some funds you can donate, if you can donate anything to those candidates who are running against the two Republican candidates in Georgia, please do so. And if the Democrats win that, then, of course, there'll be no excuses for not uh, moving the policies, progressive
3: policies along.
0: Mark Charles.
3: I think that. You know what what we've seen in the past four years, especially regarding immigration, have been horrendous. And um, I completely agree that we need to stop the dehumanizing policies that we've seen under the Trump administration, especially the issues of separating families and uh, uh, putting children in cages. You know, it's been very interesting now that they've identified these hundreds of children who have been separated from their families. And uh, right, even and they they've actually just built their hands, so like we don't know where they are. We don't know what's happened to their families. We're not sure what we're going to be doing with them, and they're investigating that right now. So we absolutely need to end that sort of dehumanizing behavior we've had in our immigration system. I agree with what uh, Reverend Barry said. You know that um, the previous administration, the Obama administration, had horrible deportation numbers. And this is the challenge our nation has had. You know, we've had since since I think it's been in the past 20 years that we've had been trying to pass immigration reform. It was George Bush in the early 2000s who really began kind of initiating this new round of of uh, bills to reform our immigration law. And since that time, both parties have had supermajorities in our government. They held the they held the the presidency the like the the house and the senate both parties at one point or another have had supermajorities and they have not had the will to pass immigration reform. Absolutely, this is something our nation needs to learn how to deal with, and this is something I've been advocating that if we really want to comprehensively and justly reform reform our immigration laws, we need to bring our Um, Native American uh, people into this discussion. Absolutely. Without the indigenous peoples of Choe Island at the table, our country is incapable of comprehensively and justly reforming immigration law. Without that at the table, all we have is one generation of undocumented immigrants Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what to do with another generation of undocumented immigrants, and there's no integrity in the dialogue. I'm advocating fiercely that we need to bring Native nations and Native peoples, Native elders especially, into this dialogue to help our nation reform our immigration policies. I also just want to point out that it was just yesterday or today, I think, that one of the federal judges ruled that Chad Wolf was not legally serving as acting Homeland Security Secretary uh, when he signed the rules limiting the DACA
0: program. That's overturned. Yeah, so that's,
3: overturned. You know, that's coming up right now too. Is, you know, there's mm-hmm. just been so much that's been going on regarding this. But this is something our nation. You know, both parties like to scream at the other party when they're mm-hmm. out of power.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But they both had super majorities, and neither one of them has had have had the political will to fix the system. This is something where we have to change this. Take a whole different approach. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Thank you, Mark. We're going to go to a, a quick music break and come back. But when we come back, I would like the both of you to think about something. Now that Biden is in office, where do we go from here? We've got so much injustice and inequity in the United States government. we got crooks that run rampant. And a lot of those sit on Capitol Hill every day and make all of these decisions for all of us. And the the question that I would like for you to address when we get back is this Medicare for All. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jay Winner Nightwolf. This is Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere.
5: Good morning. Today is the first day of the rest of America's life. One day. One day that will, one way or another, change how this country feels about itself. One last push to get the train back on its tracks. One day that cannot wipe out the last nine months or the last four years, but can clear a path for a thousand better days ahead. One day. America on a tightrope. One day when the entire world is watching like a parent in the stands, peeking through their fingers. Come on, America, come on. One day that will now play itself out right in front of our eyes, hour by hour, vote by vote, with history on its shoulders. One day that will change our lives forever. It is November 3rd, 2020, America. We have one day. Welcome
0: back to Indigenous People's Reality Media. I'm Jay Winner Nightwolf with two of my closest friends and brothers, Mark Charles and uh, Barry Lenore, as he's known. Now that we got this new administration coming in, and America is on the brink of starvation... People are out of work. People can't feed their children. They can't pay their bills. And it's all because of this President Trump, his ineptness and inability to deal realistically with this COVID-19 coronavirus. People are out of work. People are hungry. People are being put out of their houses because... They can't pay the mortgage, getting put out of their apartments because they can't pay the rent to house their children and their spouses. And now, to add insult to injury, this idiot is trying to reform Medicare for all when people are suffering and dying. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, the blood is on Trump's hands. Or the two hundred plus thousand deaths because of this COVID nineteen, and I will always blame him for that because my sister died about four months ago from this COVID nineteen. The day before she turned sixty-five. Who wants to go first on this, Mark?
3: First of all, Jay, I I want to express my condolences about your sister and Mm -hmm. uh, please accept my sympathies for her passing. I know there are many families who have been touched very personally by this virus, and I will agree um, the Trump administration has done a woefully inadequate job of not only leading in this process but even modeling responsible behavior. And what do we need to do as a nation to protect ourselves from this virus? You know, one of the things I, I think you know we just have we just uh, the Supreme Court just heard this past week. The case about Obamacare and trying to get it overturned and the Republican administration, along with President Trump, have been trying to get that whole law made illegal. And it was a year ago in the primary season when the Democrats had a very robust debate about health care. And once again, Joe Biden was on the very conservative edge of that debate there was a lot of energy around the idea of a Medicare for all system and a lot of discussion about how healthcare is a right, not a privilege. I and mean, need to find a way to provide that right for all, all Americans. Mm-hmm. And it was Joe Biden, who was one of the most conservative and status quo candidates in that system and was not advocating for a Medicare for all type system, but he was Wanting to, to work and tweak things with the Obamacare system that they had helped implement a few years ago.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: And, um, you know, she has, even in the past, the way she got elected, once, once he got past the, uh, the nomination and he secured the nomination, she made it very clear that she was not going to work for the progressive (laughs) desires of his party, but he tried, he worked very hard to make the expectations much more moderate. And so he is pressing hard for uh, working and strengthening the Obamacare um, package, but has been quite clear he's not looking at the policies that Bernie Sanders was advocating and that were very popular among most of the Democratic Party. Um, especially the younger people and more progressive edges of that party. Absolutely. So, so yeah, we need to. We absolutely we need to have a very robust debate on what does it mean that healthcare is a right and not a privilege. And we need to look at some very intentional and distinct actions of what we can do, especially during a time of a global pandemic like we're in, to make sure that nobody's can be left out in the cold regarding their health care just because they can't
0: afford it. Right. Barry, you can jump in on this. You know, I I know you got some feelings about this because we've talked about this before.
4: Just to, to, uh, you know, I was was recalling as Mark was speaking the absolute euphoria we felt when Barack Obama was elected uh, President of the United States, the first time around, and 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 very few of us in, in our celebration and our joy saw what was coming right down the road, uh, and and the great challenge he would have working with those other people who share power in Congress to get something done. The one thing he was able to do was the was the Affordable Care Act, which which which. Should People facetiously named as Obamacare, and and uh, I say facetiously because uh, at that time uh, the the opposition to Obama rarely called him President Obama. They just simply emphasized the African sound of his name, and I think that's that's part of the left and subtle uh, uh, digs that people make uh, in in Washington D.C. toward one another. It's not one-sided. So we felt euphoria. Within two years, the Democrats had lost the, the uh, control of the Congress, of the House of Representatives. And after that, uh, President Obama could hardly get uh, pencils sharpened through, those, through that mob. And it was a great disappointment and great frustration for, all, for most of us. Right? I think you can recall the Tea Party movement.
1: Oh yeah
4: about the taxes and, and everything uh, many of the things they tried to get done uh, simply could not uh, move downfield when I look at this this moment in time and after this election and people are feeling euphoric as well but uh, when you look at the numbers you you realize that there's only a five million dollar uh, five million person shift between these two candidates both of them got over 70 million votes
1: uh, 150
4: million people participated in this election
1: mm-hmm. and
4: there's a 5 million votes shift between them i i anticipate great great conflict in the country uh, over the next 2 or 3 years i i anticipate that these factions will will uh, build forts and uh, and continue to uh, disrespect each other continue to insult each other continue to spend time uh, attacking each other rather than going forward and trying to deal with the challenging issues we as a country have and we as the world has. So it's going to be rough. I think it's going to be very difficult over the next several years. When you look at what happened already, uh, the incidents in Washington, D.C. at the Black Lives Matter Plaza, the rally in support of Donald Trump, the confrontation between those two groups is a microcosm, I believe, of what will be taken in every forum, uh, in, in political discussions at every level, in, in the, in the houses of worship, in every denomination and faith,
1: mm-hmm.
4: uh, in, in schools and colleges. I just anticipate that we we've got a conflict in front of us. And and we have to summon up somehow, we have to summon up the ability and the will to work together to join together to try to move the humankind forward because at the same time you have the virus to contend with. It is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not just striking in New York and Chicago yeah in senior citizen homes it's all over oh, the world everywhere Except that we, we don't we don't even have a sense of that right now. And, and that's just the one of many, many challenges. The oceans rising. How many people live along the seacoast all over the world who will have to be dis- will be displaced? Mm-hmm. Who are displaced? They're being displaced in, in New Orleans right now. Right. They're being displaced in Miami because of ocean, ocean rocks. Look at the voracious storms that are that are roaring across the communities. Look at the fires all over the world. Some set intentionally. Some clear cutting forests. Look at the forest dwindling. I mean, this is a, we've got a bag full of things, serious problems to deal with. facing us, coming our way. It doesn't hurt to stop and, and, and take a good deep breath. But let's be honest. We have some challenges in front of us that will require the most of us, the most from us, from the most of us. And I just anticipate that we've got our work cut on for us. Don't roll your sleeves down. You know, mm-hmm. and, don't, and don't relax. Don't go to the beach. You stay in your work, you know, stay, keep your work clothes on. Because I think we've got some real challenges ahead. And, and if we don't successfully find a way to join together, more and more of us joining together, working on what we have in common, we can have differences.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So we have to find a way to identify what we have in common. Let's just go to work on that and then get that done together. But it's going to take some real bridge building.
2: I'm yeah. afraid we're
4: gonna to have to build some bridges rather quickly to try to get to the, where we have to be as a as a community of people all across the world.
0: Well, you know, I reflect back to the 60s, the civil rights movement, when Dr. King made this statement.
6: Somewhere we must discover the world over, and we must learn to live together as brothers.
0: Uh, we will all perish together as fools and something else that comes to mind when i think about joe biden talking about unifying reunifying the people of america i just can't wait for him to do that in america we hold strong views we have strong disagreements and that's okay Strong strong disagreements are inevitable in a democracy, and strong disagreements are healthy. They're a sign of a vigorous debate, of deeply held views. But We have to remember, the purpose of our politics isn't total, unrelenting, unending warfare. No, the purpose of our politics, the work of the nation, isn't to fan the flames of conflict, but to solve problems to guarantee justice, to give everybody a fair shot, and to improve the lives of our people. We may be opponents, but we're not enemies, we're Americans. I think that we are at a point in time that we need to demand and force His hand and see what happens. Because out of all of this and everything that I see, God is trying to tell us something that if you don't get this right, I'm just going to wipe it all out and you won't have a chance to get it right. And I'll start all over again. Maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Go ahead, Mark.
3: Well, let me go back to this. You know, one of the reasons I ran for president in this last election was because I wanted to call the question. I had come to the conclusion that neither party was willing to deal with our issues at a foundational level. And my goal was to call the question of, do we want to be a nation where we the people truly mean to all the people? And unfortunately, I feel like with this election, we haven't answered that. And I know for a fact my campaign did not get heard nationally. And I know for a fact that neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump we're willing to deal with our issues at a foundational level.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so I really think what the work that we have to do in the next four years is we have to continue to address our issues and bring the conversation down to the foundational level. Right. Joe Biden, you know, one one of the telling signs of Joe Biden is he likes to misquote the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. He likes to say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. That sounds beautiful. It sounds inclusive. That's not what the document says. And when you misquote it, even though we haven't fixed the problem, Mm -hmm. that means you're not willing to acknowledge the problem is there. It was in 2020, it was less than a year ago, that Virginia ratified the Equal Rights Amendment. Hmm. And yet it, it, they became the 38th state, giving us the, the, the two-thirds majority of all states to ratify it. Yet it did not become an amendment because the, the passage for the time allowed it had expired. And so it's 2020, and we as a nation still have not decided that we want to constitutionally protect the rights of women as equal to those of men. And now we've just elected a president who is not going to say, let's change that. He's going to just misquote the document. Mm. And and so what this means is he's not going to be willing to deal with it at a foundational level. Yes, I'm very grateful he has a, 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 a woman who is his vice president. I'm deeply grateful for that. But we have to change these things at a foundational level. And we have a president who's not willing to acknowledge that our foundations have some serious problems. And so the work that I'm seeing, and I I told this to my my daughter the other day when she was asking how I felt about Joe Biden being elected president. I said, well, if I'm honest, I'm going to sleep better at night, right, because the (laughs) the explicit, (laughs) destructive president is out of office now. Right. I'm going to sleep better at night. But I'm going to have to work harder during the day because our nation now is when President Trump was in office, we as a nation were much more able to acknowledge we have some systemic level problems and we're willing to talk about it and address it. What I'm quite certain will happen now is that with Joe Biden in office, we're going to try to just gloss over those problems. And it's going to become much harder to actually bring them up into dialogue and to get people to look at them. Absolutely. Because, and, and so this is the work we have to do. This is the work, and, and I'm committing my, the next two years of my life to continuing to try and create a common memory, to ch- continue trying to teach about the doctrine of discovery, and to continue to try to expand the, the, the energy and the base of, uh, of people that we had supporting our campaign, and then we want to look at what we're going to do for 2024. But for the next two years, I'm I'm going to have to work harder in the next two years than I did the entire past four years.
0: Absolutely.
3: Because our country is now going to try and forget the fact that we are systemically racist, sexist, and white supremacist.
0: Okay. And I was very happy about two things, to see your nation, the Navajo Nation, step up and say, you know, we've had enough of this crap. But Barry, I am extremely happy that you brought up the issue of climate change. I didn't hear much about that during these campaigns. Or maybe I missed something. Maybe I wasn't listening to CNN or MSNBC when they were talking about it. So the deal of climate change is a deciding factor whether any of us, members of the human family, are going to be able to live on this earth.
4: Yeah, Yeah, I'll say that I don't think either candidate, and I suppose the people that were assessing the attitudes of the voters, felt that climate change was an issue that would resonate in this election. Uh, at least not more so than, than the economy and, and COVID. And so it, it kind of got some marginal mention, footnote mention type. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, again, going back in my own life's experience. One of the great moments of my life is to be at the march on Washington to hear uh, the, uh, the great many uh, outstanding messages that came that day. And especially the Martin Luther King, I have a Dream message. Only to to wake up six weeks later to the bombing of a church in the south where where little girls were were brutally uh, murdered.
0: murdered murdered yes
4: six weeks after six weeks after the I have a dream speech right and, and I'm a product I'm a product of those times a product of of the assassination of Martin Luther King in 1968 followed rapidly mm-hmm. by the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, the, the uh, someone pulling the switch to elect uh, Richard Nixon. I was at the march from Selma to Montgomery.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, I was at that march, and one of the things that encouraged and These are these are tumultuous times. 1965, 1963, 19. These are tumultuous times in this nation. But at that march from Selma to Montgomery, I was encouraged. Many of us were encouraged because of the. The kind of people that came out left their communities all over the country to come to that, to join that march and go into Montgomery, Alabama to support voting rights when, when, uh, the, several days earlier, uh, Jimmy White, uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson had been shot dead and,
1: mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm.
4: Reverend Reverend Reed from Washington, D.C., All Souls Church in Washington, D.C.,
0: mm-hmm. had been
4: brutally beaten to death trying to register people to vote.
0: I remember had, that. I remember that.
4: people... People joined that march from all walks of life, from all races, all religious groups, and 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 that gave us hope—a sense that more than just us wanting for this, recognizing the need for change, and demanding and wanting, willing to put our lives on the line to bring about that change. Well, i I'm, 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 that what I see today is familiar to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: When I see the kids coming out in protest police brutality, and murders. What I see is familiar to me when I listen to some of the concerns that this new generation has, several generations have, about economic injustice, economic slavery, and not just social injustice. And I'm encouraged that those young people are driving some of this agenda today. Some of the agenda, police reform, driven by the young people in the streets, responding to, thank God, whoever invented the, the cell phone, responding to videos of police actions that's been taking place for centuries in this country against, against minorities, against okay. women, against youth, I'm against gonna, people of other races.
1: Okay, Barry. And it. so,
4: and so, I'm encouraged, and I think we we can hope that group continues to be active. We support that group those young people who are actively speaking to change in this country.
0: Thank you, Barry. We only have seconds left. So let me do this. Mark, in 30 to 45 seconds, can you give us a closing thought?
3: My closing thought is, it's great to be on your show, Jay. We have a lot of work to do. I I want to go back to a quote I use frequently throughout my campaign. And we have to do this even now, as much as we have to do it for the last four years. We need to create a common memory. As um, was said
1: Mm -hmm.
3: uh, by George Amas Erasmus, what common memory is lacking, what people do not share in the same past, there can be no real community. If we want to build community as a nation, we have to start by creating common memory, which means we need to teach our history. Thank you we so much. We need our nation to understand what we're standing on so that we can address it at a foundational level, and we need to do that now just as much as we have to do it for the past
0: for you. Thank you, Mark. Barry?
3: I'll
4: thank you for this opportunity to share my thoughts and to, and to grow from the thoughts that have been shared on your program. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll close with uh, an expression used by Dr. Calvin like the founder of the organization I lead, And Calvin would say, if it is to be, it is to me. It's just a message to say to people, listen, there's something you can do. There's a role for you to play. The things that you want are within your reach, but they won't come to you. There are things you can do, organize, work with others, work to get the things that you know to be just and right, not just for yourself, but for all mankind. If it is to be, It is up to me.
0: Thank you so much, Barrett. You guys don't go anywhere. Um, We're going to have to do a part two of this in the near future. Okay? Will you guys come back?
4: Oh, absolutely.
0: All right. i love it. My closing thoughts. As my grandfather would always tell us, It's not about the color of your eyes or the pigmentation of your skin or the texture of your hair. Your brother or your sister don't always have to look like you to be your brother or your sister. It's not about the food you eat or the clothes you wear or your tradition, your culture, or religion. It's not about that deity that you pray to and call God. What it's really all about is how you treat my heart. Until the next time, I'm Jay Winter Night Wolf and this has been the Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. I hope to talk to you again soon. And I'll close in the words of my Cherokee people Danada Goai Wado. Talk to you later.
6: man wants to live in peace with the Indian he can live in peace. There need be no trouble, treat all men alike, give them all the same law, give them all an even chance to live and grow. You might as well expect the rivers to run backward, as that any man who was born a free man should be contented when penned up and denied liberty to go where he pleases. We only ask an even chance to live as other men live. We ask to be recognized as men. Let me be a free man, free to travel, free to stop, free to work, free to choose my own teachers free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to think and talk and act for myself.